We'd like to thank Hannah for leading us and the worship team. We were designed this this uh, stage like two years ago, and I thought, Kevin, this stage is too big. We don't need that much room. But as I see Hannah and Irene lead us week after week, I think we need more space. We need a bigger stage uh, for what we're doing. So I'm very thankful to see our worship team grow. Thank you, William, for leading us through the time. Dismiss the children. Okay, children are now dismissed. <laughs> Dismiss the children. They are now dismissed. Thank you for that. All right. It's good. So I'd like to catch up with things that we're doing uh, in our church. Let's see where we're going here. There it is. Uh, some pictures of ACF. Our cell groups are gender specific. So the men and women get together for times of hot pot, times of you guys making cards? I'm not sure what you're doing there. You're doing something together. I appreciate seeing them together. And then after with the weather so nice, you see the rise and other people teaching uh, somewhere younger. Um, members here to play. I think that's volleyball. You're trying to play volleyball. It looks like it. It's nice to see. And then we had a murder here at PCC, um, right here in our hallway. There was a murder that was solved. Who, who is the murderer? Did we find out who the murderer was? Marissa's the murderer. Okay, Marissa's the murderer. And that was nice that Ben and Diana planned a time for Rise to come to the PCC to do that. In the upper right corner is the book Taste and See. Um, that is Hannah and Irene going to Eden Christian Academy, uh, publicizing their book. So I understand some awards are coming up for them possibly. So keep praying as they um, publicize their book. And then lower right corner, yesterday, the council got together and spent hours here going over the calendar for next year, all of our events for 2023, vision for 2023, and also our budget. So it was a special time uh, for our leaders to get together and plan and pray and look and see what God's doing in our church. He's doing so many good things here at PCC. And uh, we're just very thankful as a council. We're growing. We're seeing God do some new things. Uh, we're going to have a baptism at the end of the month. So really neat things that we see God doing uh, throughout our church. Um, last week, a lot of excitement here at the pulpit with Pastor Hans as we had um, all kinds of things happen. And uh, it really was a reminder of how precious our shepherd is to us. And we remember Pastor Hans in that way. And a special thanks here. Um, and Linda and Paul wanted to say something. So I just turned the mic over to them. Okay. I'm here, standing here. I want to testify what we just said, how good, taste and see how good the Lord is. And last Sunday, I tasted. I saw our dear son, his intensive love for the congregation, his chef, his sheep. And then I saw how lovely our people, Elder Gordon, catch Hans just in the right time. And, um, and Lord, and then he faithfully and continued the service. We thank you so much. And I see everybody working together uh, for, for, for the health of uh, Hans. And we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, that um, you gave uh, strength to uh, Emmeth, and um, and then uh, we also witnessed that Hans has clarity of mind, saying, "Irene, you stay behind and teach <laughs> the sisters about the Book of Judges." And then we also understand that 
Dr. Qi, right? Mm. Jiang Qi, and Chen. was mm -hmm. with Hans mm. during the time at the emergency room. Lord, we thank you. I, the reason why I'm standing here, I just want to thank the Lord for all his goodness and his uh, faithfulness um, and blessed our hands. And also we thank the Lord that uh, uh, we taste how good the sweet fellowship of the congregation. Thank you so much. Okay, so Pastor Hans is our shepherd. He's the one leading and um, giving us vision, giving us God's word, and we're very thankful for him. My job as an elder is actually to protect our shepherd. So one of the things I've not cleared with Pastor Hans, but I'm doing now in front of you, is revealing one of, it's not a sin, it, it's a, actually something that he has done that is actually quite good, but it, it's, it's costing him, and that he's not taking a Sabbath. He's not taking his half. That means he is working in God's field so strenuously and so much that's actually taking a toll on him. So I've commanded him to take a Sabbath, but he hasn't really done it. So we're going we're gonna to help him as a congregation to do that. So starting this Monday, starting tomorrow, I want no texts, no calls, no emails on Monday. We're going to force him, Irene, if you can keep him away from his phone and the computer, unless he's watching D.A. Carson on the computer, do not let him use the computer. I want him to spend time with you, with your family and no more of our things. We can, we can bother him all we want from Tuesday to Sunday. All this, we can do all the days, but Monday, let's give Pastor Hans a true Sabbath, or we can really rest uh, truly, physically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, he needs that. And so as a congregation, I'm gonna ask us to observe a Sabbath for Pastor Hans and his family on Monday. So we agree to do that. Okay, so remember, emergency, you can call Julie and I, other people here, but don't call Pastor Hans on Monday, okay. All right. Okay, so let's get to where we've uh, got to in Genesis. If you don't have a Genesis book, by the way, please raise your hand and we'd like to get you a book. If you're first time here today, we'd like to give you a copy of Genesis. Please take notes in our Genesis book. Yeah, we have a newcomer here in the front if you can bring a Genesis up here. And anyone else, just hold your hand up. We're glad to get you a copy. Anyways, just a few weeks ago, we covered Genesis 25. And in 25, Abraham, uh, the father of faith, he actually passes away. We thought, you know, Abraham, a lot of good things in his life and a lot of bad things in his life. And we thought about, you know, how is it that God really sustained Abraham? And one of the verses we went to was 28.5. Abraham breathed his last, died in a good old age, old man full of years and has gathered his people. He was looking forward to a city in whose architect and founder was God. Throughout this very tumultuous life, some highs, some lows, Abraham kept his eyes on the Lord look forward to that. And I think that's how <clears throat> we can sustain our lives as we look through very difficult times. All of us have different stresses, different things in our life. We look forward to that place we're going. C.S. Lewis had an interesting quote here. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. As we keep our eyes on our Lord, we sang so much about this morning, about what Christ has done for us here but he continues to prepare a place for us. We're looking forward to being with him. No more sorrow, no more tears. We keep our eyes on that, and I think that will help us. <clears throat> and then Pastor Hans is going to bring us through, I'll, I'll let him bring us through chapter 26. He's got a very good view of these next couple of chapters, all the way up to 32. He's going to give us this interview, or overview, excuse me, um, in the weeks to come. But as Hannah indicated earlier, that we're going to study a very broken family today. 
And what I want to say is that we can point at Jacob and Esau, um, Isaac and Rebecca, very broken, very dysfunctional family. But I'm going to tell you now, we're all dysfunctional. All of us come from broken families, and there's no perfect family here. None of us feel like, you know, it, it is a perfect family. All of us have gone through dysfunction in our families. And I was looking for statistics on broken families, and I couldn't really find statistics on like this about broken families. So these are statistics on divorce. It's one of the signs of broken family. It's not the only broken family, but these are interesting as you look at them. As these statistics here is that, um, unfortunately, nurses are pretty high. Nurses have a very high um, level of divorce, only beaten by truck drivers. Truck drivers have a higher rate of divorce. I don't know if you guys can read. Doctors are second to the right. Uh, nurses are far right. Uh, lawyers are far left. So that's the relative amount of divorce by profession. And then they show what, well, what really causes the divorce. And you guys can't really read this. Um, at the very bottom, it says no premarital education. That's the least reason why you'd have problems in your marriage. Um, but number one is lack of commitment. You guys can't read that. And number two, infidelity. Um, number three is conflict. Yeah, conflict, excessive conflict, excessive conflict. And then number four is married too young. So it's interesting, almost 90 uh, some percent say lack of commitment is number one. I used to think it was financial. When I was many years ago, they used to teach me that finance is a number one reason cause for divorce. That's not the case anymore. Okay, one more. You think we're Christians above this? The far right is Christians. Christians have the highest rate of divorce among religions, and Mormons have the least. So it's just kind of interesting things for you guys to think about. Again, it's not the indicator of a broken family. It's one of the indicators, but I'm trying to say here that we're all, all of us have suffered some form of dysfunction in our family. There's, there's no perfect families. But as we look at scripture, uh, this is very interesting because scripture doesn't hide these things from us. Scripture is very open with the dysfunction in Isaac's family. They don't try to whitewash it. Don't try to pretend, hey, your father's faith, Isaac, you know, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham, they were great guys. No, these guys have a lot of problems in their lives. It's very interesting that scripture opens that up for us to see. And so we're going to look in. I'll tell you, we're going to look at a lot of scripture verses hanging there with me as we look at Isaac. Let's take a look at Isaac first. Isaac has a lot of sins. In 26, when there's famine, he actually heads toward Egypt. Egypt, typically, not every time, but most of the time in scripture means the world, worldliness, that you're relying on yourself. Instead of trusting God, he's heading toward Egypt. God turns around and says, don't go to Egypt, go to Gerar, and he does listen. But then he also lies about Rebekah. So when he gets to Abimelech, he goes, that's not my wife, that's my sister. And you can imagine that's a happy family when the wife finds out that she gets taken off to Abimelech's house. And, you know, that family is now broken. I mean, that family is physically separated, emotionally broken. And then he actually makes plans to defy God. And I'm going to try to push that point home today. So in 26, one of the things we read when we were going over that passage were, two nations are in your womb. Now, this is spoken directly to Rebecca, but I'm certain that Isaac knew what this prophecy was. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples are within you, and you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Okay, with that, let's open the word of prayers as we think about what God has said to us there. Father, it's very easy to see the brokenness around us. We don't have to look very far. It's in our families. 
is within us. In a sin that dwells so deep, there is no hope. There is no cure outside of you. As we study Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, and Jacob, may we find ultimately there can be no solution for our brokenness outside of Christ. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So there's this prophecy here of these two children. One is stronger, but the older will serve the younger. And that's kind of our premise today. If you get that right and you understand that God's word doesn't change, that God doesn't deviate from what he said, then we're fine. But we'll see that this family has great strife. This family gets ripped apart because of this prophecy that God gave to Rebecca. So we know here that Isaac understands his prophecy that the older shall serve the younger, but he doesn't like Jacob. Jacob's kind of like the cowardly mama's boy. He likes the man, the macho man, the guy that's hairy. I don't know how hairy this guy is, but he's quite hairy. And he's out hunter and he's a man's man and he likes this guy. And so what he says to Esau, his favorite son, prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me. Why? That I may eat and my soul may bless you before I die. I'm going to give you the blessing. I know what was prophesied. I'm supposed to have the older serve the younger, but that's, that's not what I want. So in his dying days, as he's very old, he calls Esau in, says, you know what? I got a plan. My plan is I'm going to bless you. God's given me blessing and I can pass this blessing onto you because I like you, not Jacob. So the plan is hatched. There it is. There's the first sign of brokenness that God, I'm sorry, he's going against God. What God clearly told him to do, I'm going to disobey. Okay? So we have the next person in the story. Her name is Rebecca. Rebecca has a very deceitful home. You know, she does not trust her husband, Isaac. Now, after that's not my wife, that's my sister, I, I think I can understand that. I mean, that understandable. You know, I can understand why Rebecca does not trust Isaac. Um, she listens at the door tent for information. I don't know how private these, these tents are, but she's not really there for a good purpose. She is spying on Jacob. Like, I don't trust, excuse me, spying on Isaac. She's spying on Isaac. I don't trust my husband. I think he's up to something. She listens in as Isaac is giving instructions to Esau. And so after she hears that, she makes her own plan to deceive her husband. So she says, okay, now I see that Isaac is going to deceive God by blessing Esau. So I'm going to circumvent that. I'm going to make my own plan to get what I want because she likes Jacob. That's her favorite son. So she's listening and she says, okay, I heard what my husband just said to Esau. Now I'm going to call my son. I'm going to call Jacob in. Here's what she says to Jacob. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them for delicious food for your father, such as he loves. So while Esau's out hunting, we're going to do something quicker. Go to the backyard, get two goats. We're going to kill them, and we're preparing his favorite food. Okay, so that's the first part of the plan. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. And Jacob's like, hey, hey, wait, 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 perhaps my father will feel me and shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. So Jacob's, he's a little resistant here. He's like, mom, I don't think that's such a good idea. He, Dad knows the difference between Esau and me, and I'm going to get caught, and this is not a good plan. But 
Rebecca doesn't give up. Rebecca says to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Obey my voice. Go bring them to me. So Rebecca's got this whole plan. I mean, it must have happened pretty quick because Isaac just sent out Esau to go hunt. And so quickly she makes this plan in her mind that I'm going to get you into the place of blessing. We're going to beat Esau to the punch. Esau's coming in for the blessing. We're going to substitute you in. So Rebecca is willing to take the curse. Let your curse be on me. Only obey my voice. Uh, as you see, there's no reference to God and what God wants, just what Isaac wants, just what Rebecca's wants. No sense of the Lord. Okay, let's study the next person in this story. The next person is Jacob. Jacob, as you know, means supplanter, usurper. He's got the right name. And he dishonors his father. Oh, sorry, sorry if anyone has Jacob's name here. Sorry about that. That's what your name means? Okay. Uh, no, <laughs> number two, uh, he lies. And we'll see how he actually, the first time we see the Lord's name brought in the story, he brings in the Lord in a very unscrupulous way. And then afterwards, he takes the blessing and he just leaves. He just takes off from home. He, he, he takes off. So here's Jacob following the plan of his mother. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, so he would smell like Esau. Esau, this hunter, has a very strong smell, so get Esau's clothes on you. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. So wherever dad's going to touch you, I mean, Esau's got to be super hairy, right? And if you think that you're touching goat skin and you're touching your son, I mean, this guy's got to be super, super hairy. So what Rebecca got that covered. She covered up his arms and his neck with the skin, okay? And Jacob says, uh, I am, said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your soul may bless me. So the, the food's prepared. He's got the food. He's covered you know, with his arms and his neck. And um, Isaac's like, wait a minute. I just sent you out just a little while ago to get the food, and this is what Isaac says. Um, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? How did you get this food so quickly? Because it takes time to go out and hunt us down, prayer and cook. You came so quick back to my tent, and look at what Jacob says. Jacob said, because the Lord your God granted me success. Now, isn't that interesting? The first time we see the Lord introduced into this horrible story, he's saying, you know what? God blessed me. God gave me this. God sent me here. It was your God. Your God did this, Isaac. He got me this game so quickly. And, and so you're just seeing all the deception, all the selfishness, all the things. I'll do anything possible to get what I want. I mean, this is a horrible, broken family. Uh, there's just no way around it. And then we see the last player in the story, the other son, uh, Esau. Esau is ungodly. He's the ungodly brother. So we go back to verse, or excuse me, chapter 25. And, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right, 25. And he rejects his birthright in chapter 25. We'll talk about that in a few moments. He looks forward to his father's death. And then lastly, he vows to kill Jacob. So Esau's got some bad things going on in his mind. So he himself um, has done some very bad things. And he is one of the most godless in this story. So going back to 25, this is what it says, and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Esau's been out hunting all day. He may have gotten food or maybe, and maybe killed something, but he obviously hasn't eaten. 
Jacob has this red stew ready to be eaten. And he's like, I want to eat that stew. Jacob, being the conniver, the supplanter, says, sell me your birthright now. Sell me your birthright now. And he sees the opportunity that my brother is hungry, my brother is starving. I can get something from him that I've always wanted from him. Your birthright, the double portion, the blessing, the headship of the family, where, the, where God will kind of you know, take care of me. I want all that. You're the oldest, but I, I want to take that from you. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is the birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So Esau, you see, has a very base nature. What I want, I want it now. My biggest and most important thing is my stomach and my appetite, my carnal desire, my flesh. That's what's important to me, and I will satisfy it right now. And then Esau never really loses that. That character and that part of him, of who he is, never changes. He is a very carnal, fleshly man. So after Jacob goes into the tent and steals the blessing from Isaac, this is what Esau's response is. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which the father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of my mourning, excuse me, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. I want my father to die. I want to start planning. I have a plan. And as soon as my father's dead, you know, my dad's almost dead. You know, the morning's almost here. What do I want to do? I want to kill my brother, Jacob. C-I-L-L, -L, my brother, right? He wants to kill him, right? So it's, it's a very terrible thing he has in his heart. I want to kill my brother. You stole from me. You stole my birthright, you stole my blessing, and I'm going to be, I'm after you. I want to kill you. Now, this is not a timid guy. Remember, I told you, he's a hunter. He kills things. He's big. He's strong. You can imagine Jacob being very, very terrified for his life. But it's his base nature again. I'm angry. I'm vengeful. I'm going to kill you. It's the way Esau's character is. He, he is that type of man. Okay, so I gave you four people, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau. That's our story today, our account of what God has. It's actually not a story. It's a true account of what happened. Now, if you know scripture, scripture plays things out so we get to see what happens throughout their decisions, how it affects them for the rest of their life, how it plays out to the generations to come. It's interesting about scripture. It, it gives us the whole story. So we saw the horrible part. We saw the terrible, the deceit, the selfishness, the ability to hurt and maim each other. That's all there. But as you know, scripture, it never leaves us in that state. God never leaves us in that sin. God has a plan for us. And whether you're godly or ungodly, that plan is still in place. God always follows through. Okay, so let's see how God follows this through. Okay, so this is Isaac's follow through. Isaac, oh, by the way, everything you saw in light blue, I consider, no scripture is bad, but those are kind of selfish things. When you see dark blue, that's what I feel. There's actually something good happening here. Not that scripture is good or bad. I'm not trying to say scripture is good or bad. I'm just trying to say there's certain things in scripture that we say, oh, that's good. But there's actually some very bad deceit, some sin, some lies. That was all light blue. So everything you saw on the screens before is light blue. Okay, so 
here is um, Esau coming back to, to Isaac and saying, hey, you just blessed Jacob. What about me? Can I get something? So his father said to Esau, said to him, who are you? I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. He's like, wait a minute. You were just here. I just felt you. You just cooked for me. Why are you here again? And this is very interesting. You have to look very carefully what scripture says next. What happens to Isaac next? He trembled very violently. Don't miss that. That's thinking like, oh, I'll, I'll just move out another blessing for you. Okay, I gave Jacob something. I'll give you something. No, 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 no. Something happened here. And he trembled very violently. Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I've blessed him. And yes, he's going to be blessed. So Isaac's blessing is not going to be revoked. Not that Isaac has power. Not that Isaac has this magic ability, like, who are I blessing and blessed? It's because the Lord has used him to be a vessel of God's blessing. And Isaac realizes that the very thing I did not want to happen has happened. The very thing that God prophesied in 25, that the older will serve the younger, is actually going to happen. It's going to happen. And he shakes very violently. There's something there. And we're not sure if that is um, repentance or regeneration or something, but something happens that he is humbled before the Lord. His plans are broken. God's plans are elevated. That his ways are lower than God's ways. And he shakes very finally like, wow, the very thing that I thought I could do, the very thing that I wanted to do, I could not do. I bless Jacob. Okay, so it goes on. Let's go on to chapter 28. We may cover this in a week or so. This is a blessing in 28. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that ye may become a company of peoples. May he give you the blessing of Abraham and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Everything that God promised to Abraham, the land, the offspring, the possessions, that's going to come to you. Now, who is Isaac speaking to in 28? Look what he says. Thus, Isaac sent Jacob away. So something between 25 in 28, allows Isaac to melt his heart, like, I love Esau. Esau's my guy. You're my man. So you know what? Jacob, you get the blessing of Abraham. You get the land of Abraham. In all your sojournings, wherever you go, you're going to be protected by the Lord God. His heart changes from 25 to 28, partly from that violent shaking, partly that his heart is broken. His plans are broken. The Lord sovereignly steps in and says, your ways are not my ways, Isaac. My ways are higher than yours. And he finally gives in, says, Jacob, you get my blessing. You get everything promised from Abraham to me, to Jacob, from Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob. And it continues on, if you know your scripture well, you know in Hebrews 11, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, why is Hebrews blessing Isaac when Isaac is this deceitful old guy? Because his heart in 28 is finally following the Lord because 
Finally, when his heart was broken, his plans were broken, his own selfishness is broken, he's a man that God can use. So finally, at the time when Hebrews is written, we can look back and say God was not done with Isaac in chapter 25. Just like God's not done with us. There's more to come. We don't want to be left in 25. We want to get to 28, where we can follow God's will, follow what he wants for us. He's not done with us, yes. And that's an important lesson that we learn from Isaac, that God continues to be faithful to us. Okay? So that's Isaac. Let's go on to Esau. Esau, how does Esau end up? What's Esau's ending? I'm afraid to say he has a very sad end. Esau is cheated out of his birthright, as we already described. Esau marries uh, Ishmaelite in 28. The very people that Rebecca did not want his, her sons to marry, she actually marries an Ishmaelite. Sorry, I can't remember her name. But in 28, he marries her. And then scripture actually condemns Esau. So Esau, we tend to feel sorry for. You know, I think, hey, this guy got cheated out of his birthright. He got cheated out of his blessing. Let's cut this guy a break. Isn't it okay? Because he's been deceived his whole life. You know, he really didn't have a chance. Jacob was outwitting him at every turn. And it's just not fair. But scripture does not see Esau that way. Scripture is one of those men we would say that God withholds his blessing from. Where Isaac receives that blessing, you'd say Esau continues in his base nature. That carnal, fleshly man that I want what I want and I'm going to get what I'm going to get. God just says, is that what you want? I'm going to leave you to it. I don't have to put a curse on you. I don't have to do anything to you. You just continue in your sinful ways. And Esau continues in his sinful ways and you don't see any change in his life. Now, you might argue with me about that, but let's, let's take a look at it. Now, this is Hebrews 12 that we're going to go to. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. Bitterness, anger, this thing that I won't let go of, this thing like that, my brother, I'm going to kill my brother. I hate my brother. I'm going to get my brother. There's a bitterness in Esau's heart that maybe never goes away. 16. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unlike Esau, or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. That carnal nature, that I want to be satisfied now, that I will not wait for God. I'm going to get my food. I'm going to take these women. I'm going to get this right now. Never leaves Esau. Don't be like Esau. Don't be sexually immoral like him, unholy like him, carnal like Esau. He's pointing out as a man of scripture that this is the guy that you don't want to be like. He's ungodly. He doesn't change. Now, this is the interesting part. For you know afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, and then he found no chance to repent, even though he saw it with tears. Now, isn't that unfortunate that he's crying, and he's sad, and he has great regret. Now, here's when I make a distinction here. Regret and sorrowfulness is not the same as repentance. You can be sorry, like, oh, I got caught cheating. Oh, I got caught this, and I'm really sorry about that. And you could have that sorrow in your heart, and you could cry about it, and you could still not be repentant. There's a difference from being sorry. And like, I got caught. I think we all had that, right? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, but we're not really repentant. We still have that bitterness. We still have that fleshly part in our heart. Esau is like that. Even though 
he's crying. You're like, I want that blessing. I shouldn't have done that. I, there's no repentance. And that's a huge difference here between a godly person and an ungodly person because an ungodly and a godly person can both be sorry. But only a godly person will have repentance, will change their heart, will confess their sin, will come to the Lord. It's two different people there. And Esau and Jacob are a contrast in, in people there. So we feel sorry for Esau. He has a sad end. He, he's got a pretty tough life here. But God leaves him in his path, does not extend grace to him, and he continues in his ways. Okay, I am sorry. Pastor Hans, I have to teach about Rebecca because I do not know what happens to Rebecca. I looked everywhere in scripture. I could not find any, anything about Rebecca other than, I don't even know when she dies. I looked, I could not even find when she dies. So I'm sorry that I don't have an ending for Rebecca. So we're going to go on to Jacob. Let's find Jacob's ending. Here's Jacob's ending. Jacob. Number one, he has to leave home for 20 years. So because Esau is threatening him, because his life's in jeopardy, this big, strong guy wants to kill him, he takes off. He never sees as far. Um, hmm. Does he see Isaac again? Maybe he does. He does see Isaac again. Thank you. So he comes back, he does see Isaac again. And uh, for those 20 years that you know, his mother you know, didn't want to see him harmed, he has to run for his life for 20 years. Um, Pastor Hans alluded to this last time, that he has to work in servitude for seven years for who? Leah, the weak-eyed run, and seven more years for Rachel, who had some kind of form. Some kind of form is pleasant, so a pleasant form for Rachel. And so he is deceived. Like, you know that trick that he played on Esau? Well, Laban out-tricked the trickster, and he has to serve 14 years for Rachel. And when he comes back, he um, is in great fear of Esau, right? This big time comes back, he puts, you know, the servants first, then his wives, and he puts his big train, and finally he comes at the very end. He bows very low to Esau in 20 years when he meets him again. And this is very interesting. The last one you may not have thought about is that his 10 sons, um, Judah, Reuben, Ish, Ashtar, um, I'm sorry, I don't know the rest of them, all conceive a plan to him about what? His favorite son. His favorite son was Joseph. That guy, he was devoured by wild animals. This is all that's left of him. It's all soaked in blood. And, you know, isn't that interesting that his sons conspire to deceive him about his favorite son? So very interesting how God plays this out, that all that deception you had in your life, Jacob, it is coming back to you, coming back through Laban, coming back through Esau, coming back through your own children. Okay, so you think about, this is a terrible end for Jacob. Boy, look what happened to that guy. But scripture is not done with Jacob. What is Jacob? What do we hear about him? In chapter 32, your name should no longer be Jacob. You're now called Israel, correct? Israel. What everyone is named after from now on is named after Jacob. Israel, you're Israelites from now on. They're named after what God calls him. You will now be called Israel. This is after he fights with the angel and he, and he um, you know, cripples his hip. You're now going to be called Israel. Okay, now, the ending for Jacob. Let's go to Romans. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. So Rebekah and Isaac are going to have children. That's great. We're going to have children here. That they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad. They're not born. They're not 
doing any acts, good or bad, but in order that God's purpose of election might continue. God's sovereign plan. This prophecy that the older shall serve the younger. This prophecy and sovereignty that can never be thwarted. Our God is a sovereign God. He's got a plan here. What's the plan for Jacob? Not because of works, but because of him who calls. It doesn't matter anything about Jacob. We studied some terrible things about Jacob right now, but that doesn't matter right now. She was told the older will serve the younger as it is written. Okay, this is the hard line. You guys ready for this? Jacob, I've loved. Esau, I hated. Now, that's because Esau is such a bad guy. He's a carnal guy. Jacob, you know, he turns out to be good in the end. No, this is before they're born. This is before they've done anything good or bad. This is while they're still in Rebecca's womb. Jacob, I've loved. Esau, I hated. This is a very interesting part of scripture. It's not based on our works. It's not based on how good we are. It's not based on how many times we come to church, how many times you go to your fellowship group, how many times you help your mom and dad in their old age. It's not based on any of that. It's not based on works. But it's teaching us here, it's because of him who calls. So let's go into that a little bit deeper. As we look at this, they've done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose election might continue, but because of him who calls, what we're saying here is that Jacob's deception, what we're saying here of Jacob's conniving, what we're saying here of Jacob's cowardly behavior, none of that is good. None is that what scripture recommends for our life. But what we're saying there is all of that behavior, all those things that Jacob has done, is now what? It is now all covered by this idea that God loves him. I love you, Jacob. Now, it's not like those sins don't have effects. I showed you all the effects. He suffers for the rest of his life. He's deceived by his own son. His own brother is trying to kill him. He suffers effects. But when God loves you, when God says, I love you, when God says, you are my child, that your names are written on my hands, when God says, you are my chosen, when God says, you are my people, that I am your shepherd and you are my sheep, what does that mean? It means that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God ever. There's no sin. There's no deceit. There's nothing in your life that you can bring to Christ or God and say, you know what, this is too bad. I'm not going to forgive you. When you're God's child, there is a depth of security and of comfort and of grace that we can't outsin our God. There's nothing we've done. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that Christ said, my blood will not cover for you. When he says, I love you, I will do everything I can. One of the songs we sang this morning said, there's nothing else heaven can give. Is that correct? There's nothing else heaven can give. Heaven has already given us the greatest gift, Christ. And when Christ has come, the ultimate show of God's love, it's done. It's finished. There's nothing else we need. We're completely secure in the blood of Christ. And every one of us that knows God's love, everyone that knows that God has covered us by the blood of Christ, you're now in a category of being loved by God. You have a security. When you come to this table, to remember what Christ has done through the broken body and the blood being shed, 
It's a reminder that I'm covered by the blood of Christ, that God loves me, that there's nothing in my life that's not covered. Everything is covered. He could cover someone like Jacob. He's going to cover us. And that is a wonderful way for us to remember God, not Jacob, not the conniver, not the deceiver, but Christ through God coming to us. So let me go one level deeper. This is where I was going to end my sermon, but I'm one minute over, Pastor Hans. Give me one more minute here. Okay, so um, what we're going to look at is a little bit deeper of God's love for us showing so deeply. God's love for us being so clear to us. It actually demands a response. It actually demands that we respond. We absorb God's love. We take the blood that Christ has covered us with. And what do we do with it? How do we respond to it? There must be something that we as children of God covered by Christ's blood respond to. So um, it was a year ago um, that Julie had her accident. There's a great picture. She went over her handlebars. She had a concussion. She broke her elbow. And that was one year ago, last October. Uh, she had that happen. So it was interesting because for our family, we have uh, three daughters. And our nurse daughter came over and started nursing her. Our occupational therapist daughter came home and told mom, mom how to move her elbow or don't move her elbow. Our pharmacist daughter came back and said, these meds are good. Don't take these meds, you know, and she was sorting everything out. And, and it was interesting picture of our family coming together to help Julie during that very difficult time. But God didn't limit it to our physical family. He actually helped it in our spiritual family. That's where you guys came. You bought her a helmet. You bought her uh, cookies to get better. You found a fruit basket. You had a meal train. So every night we had meals being prepared. This is a response of God's love to you. That God loves you so much. When Julie is hurting, I will help her. And it just reminds me, a year ago, this congregation responded very well to a need in our family. And I, and I want to thank you just as... Linda and Paul thanked us for helping Pastor Son. I'd like to thank this congregation for the same thing. I'll just close with one other story. This is interesting. Julie and I were at um, PCC Oakland uh, two weeks ago, and we were just talking and walking around, and someone pointed out to Julie and said, are you Mrs. Ott? And I'm like, yes, she's Mrs. Ott, but she doesn't go by Mrs. Ott. She said, don't overcome Mrs. Ott. Only in school. Okay, but in church, don't call her Mrs. Ott, because there's another Mrs. Ott that is her mother-in-law, my mom. And this guy came up and said, oh, you're Mrs. Ott, and I have something to show you. So he pulls out his backpack. He's got to be in his mid-20s. Oh, he's 30. He's 30. Sorry, sorry, he's 30. He's 30 years old. He pulls out this backpack, pulls out this thing, he pulls out his Bible, like, it's like this kid's Bible. I'm like, okay, thank you for showing us that. And he opens up to the first page, and you can't see it here, but he said, I want to show you the first page of my Bible. And in the first page of the Bible, it says here, um, to Jay from Mrs. Ott, 10 or 00, 2000. So 22 years ago, um, my mother gave, her, gave Jay that Bible. And he goes, he's like 30 years old now. And he's still carrying around this little children's Bible because your mother gave me this Bible. And, and it just reminded me, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by um, 
the time that you guys are putting into YF, into teaching the Sunday school for the JYF, you think it's not wasted. The love that you're pouring into these young ones, the time that you're spending there, you don't know what God's going to do on campus. You don't know what your seeds you're planting in your cell groups. You don't know what God's going to do. I talk about God's sovereign plan, and we don't know the ending. This young man who's 30 years old, it was at 22 years ago, he was eight years old. He got this Bible from someone. He's still carrying around because it means something to him. That someone planted this God's word in his heart, that that seed continues to grow. And that is the kind of God that we serve. That God covers and uh, forgives our sin. But we don't stay there. We continue to follow his plan for us. Every one of us has a plan in this body. Every one of us has a gift if we're part of the body. We're used to grow and to um, bless and to help others around us. Could be in this church, could be your work, could be in your families. But realize what God is doing here. He's taking the deception, the brokenness, the harm, that selfishness, and he's changing it and he's using it to bring about great works in his kingdom. And I pray that that is a hallmark of you and a hallmark of our church. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, very thankful today that you are the mirror of our souls. Every time we open up your word, we see the sin and the depth of selfishness in our own hearts. Here we saw it in Jacob and Esau, but really pointing to us and our need for Christ and our need to be covered by his blood. And as we approach this table this morning, Father, may we be men and women who are covered by your blood. If we don't know you yet, may this be the day, may today be the day, may now be the moment when we repent, not just cry and be sorry about our sins, but repent and turn back from our old ways and know that Christ and only Christ can cover our sins. Thank you for our time in with this word this morning. May our hearts be centered upon you, a God who never leaves us or forsakes us. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay.